All right. Hi, welcome to Infill, where we discuss local politics and policy with Team Yimby. I'm Laura Clark of Yimby Action. I'm Sam Moss with Mission Housing Development Corp. And I'm Brian Hamlin of Carla. And uh, we're going to do a couple of announcements first. So, Brian, you're talking about getting people back to Sacramento. Yeah, so we all had a great time uh, testifying on behalf of SB 35, uh, Scott Wiener's legislation. Now, um, Yimby's own Housing Accountability Act bill is going to be heard in committee shortly. Although, instead of in the Assembly, it looks like we're going to hear it first in the Senate. It's either going to be March 28th or April 4th, but we don't know the date yet. Uh, so please stay tuned, and I would love it if anyone could join me in going to Sacramento. And maybe we'll get some of those L.A. people who will not be distracted by Prop S, which they resoundingly defeated. Yeah, road tripper housing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, also shout out to our uh, Sacramento Yimbies who are just getting started uh, organizing there. If you want to get connected, if you live in Sacramento um, and you want to get uh, connected with the uh, growing movement there, send an email to hello at sfyimby.org and we'll connect you. There are groups organizing across the state which is really exciting and we want to do everything we can to help the growing pro-housing movement other announcements for San Francisco Yimbies. We've got a cool event coming up uh, where planning commissioners from uh, around the Bay Area are going to be doing a roundtable discussion about what it's like to be yelled at all the time um. <laughs> <laughs> but and but and also you know, what motivates them to say yes or to no to a project? Like, how can we effectively yell at them, right? right. <laughs> it's information sure. you can use. I'm sure that's what it'll get right. to. How can I mean, we effectively yeah, we'll, yell at them? We'll see right. how much of their cards they'll show. Uh, but uh, that's going to be uh, in a couple of weeks. But if you go to sfemb.org, you can uh, see the Google Calendar there and uh, subscribe to get in on your calendar. We also put stuff up on Facebook, um, so there's always cool stuff. A lot of the uh, district-specific uh, groups are starting to have regular meetings, and so if you want to get involved in your district subcommittee, um, you know, look on the calendar and also reach out, and if you're on Slack. Um, but all of that, you have to be a Yimby Action member. Um, so if you go to the yimbyaction.org website and then click join and then uh, uh, free membership is down at the bottom. Um, we definitely need your warm body. We love your money too, but we also need your warm body. So either or or yes, both. Both. Both, or, both, both of the best. Yeah. Right. <laughs> one quick note about the Yimby chat with the planning commissioners. It's going to be March 29th at 9:30 Alabama Street. Um, 6:30 p.m. is when we're starting with drinks. 7 p.m. is, is when the chat gets going. Um, and for those of you who went to our Yimby party party uh, late last year in the mission, it's in the same spot and it's super awesome spot. Yeah, and we're just starting to launch business membership. So if you know, um, you know, mass employers who uh, really are affected by this housing crisis uh, have expressed interest in getting involved with EMB uh, more than any other business community. I think it makes sense if you're employing a lot of people, um, you know, you're probably pretty mad that your turnover rate's really high. Um, I'm sure it's not because your business isn't great. I'm sure it's because of the <laughs> no. housing crisis. No, it's just the housing. <laughs> That's the only reason any business ever fails in San Francisco. Um, 
So uh, that means we're going to have a gala because, like, I don't know. I've been told business people like galas. So, uh, so yeah, there'll be a gala in November. Get excited for that. Um, also, National Yimby Conference is coming to Oakland in July. If you go to yimby.town and uh, get tickets now, it's going to be really epic. Um, yeah, and we're going to try to help people uh, find places to stay with, with people. So if you're, like, worried about hotel bills and whatnot, um, we're going to try to help coordinate that. Um, it's a lot of work, so if you want to help coordinate, definitely get in touch. <laughs> Is there a place to, like, uh, volunteer to have people over, or...? Uh, so we haven't launched it yet. Um, it's mostly unofficial, but we will be putting that up there. Um, why, Sam? Do you have a wonderful uh, living room that someone could stay in? I am not the keeper of my living room, so <laughs> no comment for now. So the n first thing we kind of want to talk about was uh, Phil Ting's AB915, um, the is it gutting of the density bonus or is it just mildly wounding <laughs> of the density bonus? Um, yeah, Brian. Well, you know, it's certainly redu reducing the effectiveness of the density bonus law. So what it does is it changes the definition of denominator. So under current law, um, a developer can get a certain density bonus and other concessions if they include a certain percentage of housing for very low income or low income people. Um, and the law is very specific in prescribing. You get, you know, what percentage based on what income level that you get. What now it, it's based on. Wait, before you move on, I want to like slow it down a little bit. If you do, we're just going to make up numbers because it's a whole sliding scale, but we're going to say if you do 10% subsidized affordable, then you get to break local zoning laws and do a denser and taller project. So if you do percentage affordable, then you get a bonus of more market rate housing. And you can also get other concessions like like less parking requirements, like some setback waivers, like there are like a range of concessions, yes, that yeah. you can ask for. What Ting's bill does is it includes, is it takes any bonus units that you get as part of the denominator, right? So if you want to get um, benefits from the density bonus law, then you have to effectively provide more subsidized units. Now, the reason this is a problem is because while in a very hot market right now in San Francisco, it's probably fine. It's, it's probably not going to cause any projects in that pencil. But in tons of other communities throughout the the state, projects that would be uh, that would you know make sense for a developer to engage in at the current density bonus levels, all of a sudden it's not worth it for them to ask for the density bonus. You know, I don't even think you're right about it not applying in San Francisco because. So we just raised our inclusionary percentage to 25%, and every project pretty much that wasn't a density bonus project is now has come to a halt. The only projects that are moving forward are projects that take advantage of the state density bonus. And so you're talking about taking some of the power out of the state density bonus, which I'm not sure if a few of those projects might fall off. You know, Laura, that's a really great point. I, I had temporarily forgotten the insane level of inclusionary requirements that San Francisco How can you requires. forget that? <laughs> yeah, it's just like in my mind that it goes from 12 to 25. Yeah, so that's an, that, that's an excellent point. Um, and, but again, what the nefarious thing it does though is like this bill also states that if a locality passes legislation specifically 
exempting this new definition of denominator, then they can go back to how it is currently. What it doesn't say is a locality may, if they choose to, change their, their law in order to come in contact with this new thing. So pretty much this is going to apply statewide because no one's going to pass a bill to specifically exempt themselves. Well, I think it, it doesn't it also make give the Lafayettes of California the capacity to pass an affordable inclusionary ordinance that you know is so much that it never would have happened anyway. Yeah, you so they can say that yeah, they can say they aff- that we support affordable housing. We want fifty percent on site, but what that's effectively doing is just killing all development. Well, the problem is they actually already have that authority right now under California law. Um, although this is certainly not helping. But like more to the point, though, it's you know why is Filting doing this? Because Peter Cohen told him to. Yes, specifically, but you know. <laughs> I mean, I hate to have one enemy, okay. but like, God. Yeah, the, uh, royal, the royal Peter Cohen. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's right. But, you know, what does this reveal, though, about Filting's approach to making housing more affordable in San Francisco and in California? To me, this is just this, it's this poverty of imagination, and it's this, I think, unethical uh, position that, all that new, all the only people who should pay for affordable housing are newcomers. That yes, affordable housing is really important, but the only way that we're going to deal with it is by making new housing more expensive to build. And it's yeah. just like, no, I, I talking with the staffers, like the most interesting thing to me was that they were like, yeah, but we'll get more affordable. And I was like, well, A, I don't think you will because no one's going to build anything, but B, like, you're treating the market rate housing as if it's not also a community benefit. That was the biggest thing. They they couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that, and I was like, I thought it was really funny because like we went around and around a couple times and like they, it, I was like, we are the Yimbies and he, they still didn't quite get that we thought that the market rate housing was good. I was like, so you really have not heard from people who are pro-market rate housing before. And, and of course, you're <laughs> having this sad. conversation with people who all own or rent market rate housing. Yes. Like, not a single one of these fuckers lives in subsidized below market rate housing that's wow. writing these bills. That's a good that, point. That's like staffing these things. And yet, they still just can't, you know, imagine what's, no. what's going on. And this is the bigger... I have this problem also. So Safai and London came out with their uh, what should San Francisco's percentage inclusionary be. Um, and so there's two competing ideas. There's the uh, supervisor Peskin and Kim, who sometimes jokingly get referred to as Peskim. Uh, and then there's the uh, London and Asha plan. And the London and Asha plan is like not... The, the the Peskim one is just, like, dead horrible, like, completely junk. But the London Safai one does involve taking percentage that would normally inclusionary housing is for the lowest income and making it go to middle income. And they wave their hands around a lot about how this isn't taking from the lowest income and blah, blah, blah. But, like... Family housing. Family housing and blah, blah, blah. But their complete rhetoric for like an hour was San Francisco is never going to build middle income housing and so we need to build subsidized middle income housing and that's the only way to have middle income people is for it to be built by developers mandated by the state and managed by people who are doing like you know BMR housing so that that's a I think you you hit on something really key here Laura they couldn't even imagine right like they couldn't even 
imagine that for generations, California, you know, was embodied the American dream of middle class home ownership and upward mobility. This is similar to what we were recently chatting with with uh, Nick Chesefowitz, the BART board director, where he was talking about how BART envisioned the 1960s was like the most modern mass transit system in the world. You know, the longest underground uh, train tube, the lightest weight, most energy efficient structure, the first to use <laughs> these tickets that weren't just coins, right? So this sounds like, you know, Jetson's retro future now, but look, this was cutting edge stuff 50 years ago. And where have we gone since then? It's like there is, like Californian policymakers, it's like they can only imagine, you know, carving up a, the, the current pie differently. They can only imagine preserving what they currently have. Where are folks who are trying to make a better future for the the next generation? In this room, probably? Well, yeah. Right? The Yimbies. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, like, who yes. else? The punks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, BART, too, is a really good example of, you know, passing legislation, getting the BART funding, but that assumed on housing above, you know, a lot of, if not the majority of the, tra- of the uh, train stops, of the... Of the What's, what am I thinking of? Uh, the stops. I have to edit that. Yeah, yeah. Like Start over th- again. What are you saying? So, yeah, so, I don't know what we're talking about. So, that. like, Bart, Bart's <laughs> a really good example of the state passing something and the local municipalities having so much control over the original plan that we're so far away from what was supposed to be. 16th and Mission should have housing above it. it should be skyscrapers that's right? the mission really no and then tomorrow we're going to hear the project uh at Folsom right on top of the uh 24th street BART station pretty much wait is this the, the Folsom between 22nd and 23rd yeah. street yeah access yeah. development I yeah believe. so I used to live on that exact block and like literally if I broke my uh landlord's rules and went up on the roof which I did a lot um it would partially block my view of Bernal Hill <laughs> and yet I still vociferously supported the yes in my backyard house right. development. I mean, it's sad, though, because, like, this is turning a, like, PDR space. This is, like, a... I don't know what the industrial use oh, currently Oh, so I is. can tell you what it is. Oh. Um, it's... There's... Uh, so when restaurants go out of business and their old kitchen equipment goes somewhere, like, that's where it goes. So it's this massive eyesore, pedestrian, unfriendly space where you walk for a block and it's just, you know, rusting um, sinks... <laughs> And deep fryers and other stuff. And look, I mean, there's some people business. who like work there, but it's right. a business. But a business that's going to relocate. Like, I don't, I don't know yeah, what they're. They I mean, they bought the building and the like. Yeah, I mean, I believe Axis is helping re- uh, relocate them. Um, but you know, it's a business. It's been there for a long time. Um, it's some people's livelihood. And yeah. uh, and yet, you have three bedrooms, uh, apartments on that block, renting for ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I mean, no I one's mean, thing is not you know, ridiculous. Like, so, it's like, such see, an underutilized space. Yeah. I mean, I love me some kitchen supply stores, but, you know, they don't have to be located on top of a BART station because, I'm sorry, you can't take the oven on BART. So, yeah. like, there might that's be a, a more efficient use of that. Okay. Like, that's a mandated car-centric business that maybe could be located in a more efficient place. Yeah, so I, I have to say, it is about half a mile from the BART station, but, you know, totally walkable. Like, I walked to the BART all the time yeah. when I live there. I think it does speak to, you know, legislation that suggests that it is or should be okay to, if there's just a one-story PDR commercial, if you're going to have the right of return, if you're going to bring them back, it's still going to take two years to five years, you know, for that business to come back to the space. 
and what do they do during that time? You know, what do their customers go? Yeah, but I mean, I'm for cash buyouts, but I'm also kind of like, I'm not sure, like the idea, you know, I think we do a lot of like legacy business stuff and like... I'm, I'm just not sure I totally believe in, in business picking winners and losers, you know? Like, I don't I don't want government to be, you know, favoring one mom and pop versus, you know, a new mom and pop who has an idea for a cool new Indian restaurant. You know, like, I'm not sure that... But that's a whole side yeah. conversation that we don't need to get There's into. There's also a a chronic and acute housing crisis that we're going with. And like, maybe we shouldn't be so worried with whether a business that only has wholesale customers, by the way, like this isn't like a place where you're going to go buy a spatula. Like this is for, you know, buying, you know, the tri sinks that you would use in a restaurant. Um, if they get relocated to the Bayshore or, or whatever, or like a district where there's a lot of um, wholesale industry, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I, we shouldn't be shedding any tears. Yeah, no, I'm all this. for relocation. That's what I'm saying. Um, they just have to be taken into account. I just, I don't believe that, for me, what a Yimby means is, like, just absolutely accepting everything, and you are old wholesaler that doesn't have housing above you, so you got to go. Like, I think you should at least be compensated or something. That's well, but, all I'm saying. So, I'm fine with that, but you know what? It really should be from the city. Um, like we like to charge newcomers, developers, whatever for everything. The city should really have a relocation assistance fund for these businesses. And look, I agree because you know I'd be for that. The because yeah. like one now there's like this particular business. I'd be they, for that more than the legacy business. Oh, like yeah. kind of like we're just gonna like give you a crest that means that we now listen to you more. Barely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's some money. I think again. I'm, you I'm know. just saying this whole. I don't. I think that whole like like if they had instead said we're gonna have like a fund that goes to relocation fees. I think that would have been a useful thing for small businesses. Very, and it's especially useful for certain types of small businesses. Like this particular business, again, doesn't need to be in this location. But if you imagine, well, what if it were say a bodega or a hair salon or a type of business mm-hmm. that serves the immediate neighborhood. They can't relocate to like you know right Bayshore or something right. No, but that, that was my point. Yeah, then, but this fits yeah. into the like overarching theme of Yimby, which is like displacement doesn't happen necessarily when you get evicted. Displacement happens when there's no equivalent place down the block yeah. that you could move into, and suddenly you're outside of the city and you're just really fucked for the rest of your life, right? Like that's displacement. There should be enough retail and housing such that an eviction is not a life crisis legalizing basement level and you know fourth floor walk-up retail like needs to like be in like the yimby agenda in you know 2030 or something right. like after we <laughs> made some progress with like housing and like lots of dense housing it's once like, we tackle all right, it. Other okay places. so I want, which, I, I want fifth floor jazz cafes in San Francisco. <laughs> is oh my what I'm god, saying. yes! Walk so up. Though. We've got like a rogue Yimby chapter, like who is working. It's not rogue. I totally endorse what they're doing. But there's like a bunch of people in the Richmond who have gotten upset because there's a bunch of people in the Richmond who are saying we don't want this new Chinese restaurant to get their liquor license, and they've started saying like we have enough Chinese restaurants, and they've been really racist about how. Like, there's too many Chinese people out in the Richmond. I'm like, oh my, like... uh." Wait, so, like, do they believe... 
San Francisco for San Franciscans? Kind Is that of. What those, yes, that's kind <laughs> of what they're about. That? Yes. Native and they, bullshit. They're like the the Chinese restaurant is going to be like loud and disruptive because they'll have a liquor license <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And so we have these like people who are supposed to be focusing on housing who have gotten so mad that everyone's being mean to this Chinese restaurant who <laughs> wants to have their liquor license that they're like spending all their time. And I don't want to be like... I mean, anybody who's fighting against racism is good, so I kind of have to, like, let them go and do that and, like, fight for this. I mean, that's a guess yes. in my backyard. Yeah. And I like to drink. So, therefore, I'm for Touché. more liquor licenses. <laughs> okay, so we've gotten totally off topic. <laughs> and I want to circle back to... Uh, let's just do, what? like, AB 915. Like, let's just, like, AB finish this one out. 915, yes. The Ting legislation. So, Ting has got this press release on his website now for it and it, it just really pisses me off like it, it's got statements from some of the usual suspects that you would expect one of which is from uh dean preston who as you you may recall last year attempted to uh kick london breed out of her seat um and saying, runs uh, tenants together yeah he runs tenants together Do we but, know what tenants it's a it's a statewide it's a tenant housing i mean i've seen we get accused of being uh what's it called uh developer shows we know we get accused of being astroturf all the time and i will say i have not seen very many members of tenants together okay so i just want to put a little idea out there how many people do we think tenants together is you know so i don't know although i went to a fair housing training once we're getting on top again but i went to a fair housing training and i spoke with a young uh, uh, attorney who was working for Tennis Together on a fellowship. And, you know, she really believed in the cause of fair housing, really believed in opening up the suburbs uh, to low-income people and the people of color. And her husband was similarly situated. They were like a young couple, just graduated from UC Berkeley School of Law. And yet they were commuting from San Leandro. You know, their incomes were very low. Like it nonprofit right. lawyering doesn't usually pay all that well especially not when you're starting out and they're like I, th- I think we just need to move like I like I don't see how we'll ever make a home here um, I mean I think Carla and tennis together would probably have a good amount of overlap at least with Carla's mission well if you imagine the people a, who run Carla yeah, if you yeah. imagine a, a sane, sane world, world. <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah um, but so Dean Preston of tennis together you know has this statement that increasing density development shouldn't result in lower percentage of affordable units. Yet that is exactly what is happening on some projects as an unintended consequence of state density bonus law. Now, he, here's the... Laura, you... Sorry. I just you're like, like, Laura's like, raising her hand over here, so I guess I mean, she really needs to interrupt doesn't mean you have to say, stop talking. This touches on the fetishization they have of a percentages over total numbers okay total numbers are what reality is okay and percentages are this this bizarre obsession that they have that they can like control the like quality of a neighborhood by obsessing about what percentage is subsidized and what percentage is market rate instead of saying how many people can we house how many and they don't even they don't even focus on things that would 
increase the total number of subsidized affordable, right? If they were fetishizing about that, I would be like, fair enough. Your goal is to increase the total number of subsidized affordable units. Go for it. Run that gangbusters. Instead, they're just obsessing about the percentage of the neighborhood as if that was some metric of quality. So, Laura, thank you for interrupting me to make the exact point I was okay, about to cool. make. That, yeah, that's, no that's really all I had right there. And then now <laughs> let's maybe just shit on Richie Rich, uh, Dean Preston some more. This guy, in addition to having, you know, timber holdings in Mendocino and a well-diversified diversified portfolio diversified. of divorce, <laughs> diversified, diversified portfolio of, Here, we know. start that sentence again. So, Richie Rich Dean Preston, in addition to having timberland in Mendocino County and a well-diversified portfolio of fossil fuel company stocks and tech equity and everything else, owns a, you know, giant Victorian kitty corner from the Painted Ladies on Alamo oh Square. Triple and this, this mother, right? Yeah, it's worth like millions of dollars. And this motherfucker is, you know, talking about all these new condos coming in. And the football's like, <laughs> condos are the most affordable housing in these neighborhoods. If you look at like what's going on in Hayes Valley or even in the Mission right now where there's been much less condo construction than in Hayes Valley, the most affordable places to buy aren't those old cute Victorians they're the new condos. Mm-hmm. That's the most affordable housing in the neighborhood. What I think the argument from the other side is probably all these units that we've permitted, right? Because we're having a construction problem, not a permitting problem, as yeah. people say. All these fucking units are in Treasure Island or in the Schlage right. Lock Factory or people in are saying, well, it's, or it's whatever. It's the units that we've permitted that are making people think that their house is more valuable. Not the fact that most people know those units are never coming. Yeah, yeah, and not the prop there. I mean, like, that's just a whole nother, like... On the percentage thing, too, yeah. uh, I do want to say, I, it gets that it's frustrating for me also because it's, the, it's just a continuing loop of people saying, let's raise a percentage, we need to raise a percentage, and then the other side saying, that's impossible, it's going to ruin the world, we're never going to be able to develop anything. They did it with 12%, you know, they did it with 15%. And now we're probably actually getting to a point where it is going to stop, but it, it, it's the same argument over and over and over. And it doesn't address how do we actually get more money to people like Sam. That's what I would like to do. I <laughs> would appreciate that. <laughs> because, like, this is like, it's the smallest piece of the subsidized affordable puzzle, and it's the time, it's the thing that we spend the most time and energy debating. Inclusionary housing. Inclusionary housing. In general, the ratio of people housed to quantity of talk is way off. Oh, yeah. Like, the, I don't have the figures handy, but the total number of units that have been created in, in San Francisco throughout the history of its inclusionary zoning programs is in the low thousands. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, like 3,500 yeah, or something. Not very much. Not counting the fees that you know, go yeah. into the mayor's office of housing, like just the actual physical one built. What the density bonus legislation wants to mess with. Right. Yeah. And but then they couldn't understand, this was the funniest thing talking to Phil Ting, like they, like it took him a while to get that we were going to be easily yes on uh, AB 71, which was going to take some money from mortgage interest tax deduction, blah, 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 take some money out of the pockets of people and give it to subsidized affordable. They couldn't understand how we could be easy yes on that, loud and proud, pro getting money to subsidized affordable, and no on fucking with the percentage inclusionary because it's a waste of everyone's time and will probably disincentivize market rate housing. Like, they had never experienced someone being for both. 
Yeah, again, like they don't seem to recognize that YIMBY means yes in my backyard to all types of housing. That we are absolutely pro more s- s- sources for building no, low they, market rate housing for low income people. They, they got indoctrinated a long time ago by people who have no desire or any willingness to learn about what's actually going on here. Yeah, I mean, like these, these folks don't really have any understanding of housing markets whatsoever, but that's a rant for another day. Well, there's that but too. I guess. Sam, I, I want to get back to that, right? Because like there, there's, we've been talking a lot about state level legislation. Um, what's going on locally? Uh, well, locally, there uh, there is a legislation going before the Board of Supervisors tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, the 21st. Right, I believe. Um, essentially, uh, there is a few supervisors who believe that nonprofit affordable housing developers who have San Francisco city money in a project, uh, if that project is perhaps refinanced or some other transaction that makes the developer able to pull money out of the building. Uh, that that money should not be allowed to be spent on anything that isn't specifically for affordable housing, building management, or resident and community services. Um, so on its face, that seems to make sense, right? It does. That it's very. You, it yes. does a lot. Yeah. Like if you make money off of subsidized affordable housing, that money should be reinvested in those projects. And I think that you bring up a good side point that it's the money that's made. So. If the city has funds in the original development, they the only way for a developer to get that money is to pay the city back and at interest. So the city's not only replenished, it's actually making money on its investment. Okay, so it's a completely paid off yeah. project. Right. So most of these projects are 40 years old? For, yeah, at least. Okay. 35, 40 years. Okay. Um, Why don't we step back for a bit and if you could explain why Mark Farrell is proposing this this legislation in the first place? Um, I've heard that there's a nonprofit <laughs> developer that uh, there's so essentially you can take money out of the project. Uh, so we've already talked about the same you, podcast. Okay. John Elberling of Todco, <laughs> you know, syndicated his properties, and I'll let you explain. He, he essentially he sold the building from one nonprofit that he owned to another nonprofit, and in doing that, that he also ran, runs. In doing that you get to mark your subsidies up to market and you get a bigger loan because you have more income and you get a bigger sale price. And so all of the rest of us take that money and we put 100% of it back into the building or the company, the nonprofit that does the work and runs the buildings. And And sometimes builds more with that new building. Oh yeah, definitely. And if it's a really, really old building, then we essentially, everything but the outside walls is brand new. We will put a few hundred thousand dollars per unit into the building. Um, and on a side note, if a building's that old, you've probably been running it for free with no fee or anything for over a decade, at least, if not more. So essentially what happened was this one alleged nonprofit uh, took a little bit of money, a tiny percentage, and put it back into the building. And a lot of people probably think not enough. They're still getting yeah, because there's scandals, right? I mean, the guy they're, didn't they're still getting fines, right? The, yeah. the building could be improved. All um, right, so I'm gonna not have Sam throw his fellow affordable housing developer under the bus. I will do it for it. I'm driving the bus. The man you're is either on the bus or you're off the bus. Yeah. Toot toot, whatever. You like speed style controlling the bus <laughs> yes, somehow. John Elberling is on is is on the bus. Yeah, I mean, motherfucker did 
cannot take care of the building and is like a classic evil landlord who I know not necessarily classic because it's like subsidized affordable, but like took money that should have been spent on the tenants in his buildings. He has failed inspections and instead took that money and spent it on local politics. Now, how much and whatever, it should have been zero. If your buildings are failing inspections, you should not be spending money on local politics. And and to be clear, so he, he spent a lot of money supporting Proposition X, which was the proposition that dealt with conversion to PDR spaces and how you have to protect them and all the rest. Um, that Jane Kim was supporting. Well, the thing is, when he was sending out these, uh, paying for these flyers and mailers and everything else, you know, Jane Kim's face is on it, right? So, like, it, and Jane Kim was running a, it's a, a way competitive to race to with Scott candidate. Wiener. So, it was really a way for him to support Jane Kim's campaign right. so against he, Scott Wiener. He donated the money. Him and his board decided to donate the money to, from a nonprofit 501c3 to a 501c4, which is allowed to do this stuff. Um, so, I, I think it is important just because this legislation has come about to note that nothing that he did was illegal. Although I'm kind of curious because, like, you know, so I incorporated Carla, and when I incorporated the documents, I said in there that our funds shall, you know, forever be used solely for charitable purposes. Like, I don't think I'm allowed to well, give money to a C4. I mean, I don't know what Tokyo's bylaws are, but essentially the Yerba Buena Benefit, whatever, yeah. Inc thing that is the 501c4, it probably is within the guidelines of what Todco, which is a Yerba Buena, Soma only nonprofit, is allowed to do. Um, and so essentially, we have a supervisor who wants to legislate, so that's not allowed to happen. Um, and it, unfortunately, the only way to do that I don't to, think it's only, but okay. Continue. Well, I agree, but the I haven't been able to come up with. To. I haven't been able to come up with words that. We'll, we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The only the the supervisor believes that the only way to legislate and protect affordable housing dollars is to essentially say it's illegal for nonprofit affordable housing developers that have city money still in a project. They we are not allowed to spend any money. We're not allowed to donate any money to a political proposition or campaign. We are only allowed to spend that money on the creation, management of affordable housing, and then resident and community services that are, quote-unquote, in line with 501c3 tax law. So how does that make it, how does, how would that, so you said that earlier in this conversation that Mission Housing had used this mechanism in order to pull itself out of bankruptcy and get get its feet back under it. Can I talk about that a lot? Yeah, yeah, you yeah do. Maybe, maybe kind of a, a bit. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, like, this mechanism is what mission. Ha- mm-hmm. I mean, I happen to know, having heard it several times <laughs> from you. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is. It's exactly what so we did. But we took the, all that money and put it back, back into our in. company. So, would the legislation now make that maneuver illegal, or it would still be legal for that maneuver to take place? I, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't think that it would make it illegal. I hope that it wouldn't, but. The problem is, is that the way the legislation is written is that we've taken some of that money and we have put some money aside for an immigration defense fund, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a anything that's that's listed there, um, and I am worried that this is just the beginning of someone legislating against a group of 
companies that happen to disagree with his legislation. It's not so much that I'm worried about how we can spend our money, because I do believe that he at least came back and we've talked to him, and I, th I think that if there is a compromise, the world won't end. I'm the most worried about the fact that someone decided that he can legislate against us, and if we had supported, say, P, you know, propositions last year, that right, we, that he was on the right. That the, we didn't the, support. Right. I came that I came on this podcast yeah. to argue against. If we had supported them, that this wouldn't exist at all. That this is political backlash yeah. rather than that makes no, sense. Although in some ways, so I'll say I don't have super strong opinions on this bill, but for like the first time ever, mm -hmm. every once in a while I don't have a very strong opinion. It doesn't happen too often, um, but. In some ways, wouldn't this protect you from that type of backlash in the future? Like, let's assume that this bill is fixed so that you're still like allowed to do generally community supportive funding, like for immigrant defense, but you're not allowed to spend money on political campaigns. Um, if you're not allowed to spend money on political campaigns, well, then a politician can't really get back at you for not supporting their campaign because you're like, hey, 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 it's a city law. No, I'm, you're, I'm not you're right. Do this. That, is, that is a very good point. But I guess I would point out the recent housing trust fund, affordable housing trust fund, the recent bond for affordable housing. Uh, that was a, those were propositions that were a political campaign that the affordable housing industry funded the overwhelming majority of. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't be allowed under, if, if this were to pass. So I, I guess I'm also worried about essentially throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and that's, I, I understand the difficulty of the supervisor who wants to guard against a certain thing. And from my perspective, just personally, it's not that Todco what got political, that they spent money on politics. It's that they didn't put all of the money you know, that they could have back into the building and the company. Um, mission. We don't. I don't have a problem with, you know, having a political opinion publicly, and I also want to point out that under 501c3 law, HUD, the federal government, is willing to give money to a nonprofit developer and let them have a certain amount of money go to politics. The state, they're willing to give money to a nonprofit developer and let them have a certain amount of money go towards politics, and so it appears that. There's, it's just that San Francisco that's not willing to let that happen. Okay, so I have two thoughts about this. One is the proposal that I made, and I, nobody's been listening to because they're like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever, uh, is that if you made it conditional that this law only applied when someone had failed multiple inspections, so it only applied to bad actors who were not mm -hmm. doing what they should be doing to maintain their housing projects, then I think everyone would kind of have to be like, sure, like, I'm not a bad actor, so that's fine. Um, my second thought is that this is fascinatingly connected to Citizens United and nonprofits doing a money is speech as well as companies doing money is speech. And I just want to put that thought out there in the world that we are kind of talking about, like, companies whether they're nonprofit or for-profit like using their money for speech to advocate for what they think should be done in the public policy realm and I have mixed feelings about that but as a person who runs a C4 and a PAC 
that gets donations and it pays my salary sometimes, I can't be totally against it, even though I kind of think that maybe, I don't know, mixed feelings. No, I mean, I agree. Look at the California Realtors or the POA, the Police Officers Association. I mean, the person who's putting this legislation forward actually gets a lot of money from both of those Yeah, but those are also member-based organizations that collect dues from their members in order to advocate on behalf of the interests of their members. That is a very different thing than nonprofit housing developers using money that could go to either improve their buildings, provide more resident services, or go into a fund in order to accrue interest and then to build more housing, right? Okay, I mean, so this is definitely, but like the money, the way it goes to it, the, the what we're allowed to do, it's the same thing. You know, he Elberling didn't, Taco did not pay directly to do anything. They donated to a certain non-profit or 501c4, and that 501c4 also has a mission to uphold the Yerba Buena district and support the community and this, this and that. So it's not literally the taking money from the building and, you know, going directly there. I know that we're just, you know, splitting hairs here and I'm, again, Mission Housing doesn't necessarily believe that this was the best move, but I do want to point out that we are asked to run these buildings for free for decades at the end, if you get this far, if you get to 35, 40 years, there is, we're like, like I've always said, we're at 1980s or so funding level, you know, and we're also expected to keep the building perfect and no one should get evicted ever. And this, this and that. And I agree with that, but it's hard to do it. I also think that like, there's a degree to which like, frankly, investing in politics is a good investment. You know, like if subsidized affordable housing developers were going to choose what would be a good investment to maybe get more funding towards subsidized affordable housing, you know, politics is a good one to do it. It's a public policy. You know, I mean, I don't want to, I kind of, I don't want to take away that ability to advocate for more. Now, unfortunately, uh, Elberling used it for something that wasn't about getting more money towards subsidized affordable housing. But I kind of want the ability for subsidized affordable housing developers to be able to like lobby, really, to say we should have more money go to this. Um, well, and they already can, right? So, like, um, but they just you know, suck at it right C- now. Well, C threes can donate, like, can be members to like a C four or a trade association of nonprofit developers. That association is then able to lobby effectively for more uh, housing dollars or whatnot. But if we and, spent money, like that's what I'm saying. This legislation yeah. is still so vague that are we are we allowed to take that money and just give it to a trade association because it's we, not directly for affordable housing or resident and community services. That's how we read it. Okay, I don't know. Maybe this is... is Choo Choo is a C4? I think so. No, Choo Choo is... Well, Choo Choo is sponsored as a C3, which is pretty interesting because Peter Cohen spends a lot of time lobbying. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean... So that's probably illegal. Probably. Yeah, but... Okay, so... Well, that kind of undermines my point. So the... uh, (laughs) Last year, in November, when I came on this podcast and argued against Proposition P... Right. Mission Housing Development Corporation pays 100% of my salary from buildings, from fees, from residual receipts, money left over that we get to take at, from our buildings. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority have city funds. Technically, I shouldn't have been allowed, if this passes, I shouldn't have been allowed to go to your establishment and with, because I technically am getting paid for that time. 
To well, do if it's, is it, but, but then is it different, right, if it's after 5 p.m. or something? I'm because, exempt. Like, like, there do you is still no... have, like, the right of private... No, but, like, you well, still have also, the right of private citizens, though. He's on call 24-7. Because I care. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't question your caring and whatever. Laura and I are also sort of on call 24 oh, hours a day yeah. for, you know, our uh, YIMBY advocacy. But that said, even federal employees that have all sorts of restrictions on how um, what they can do for election campaigns, for instance... Mm-hmm. They, they still have, you know, private free time, but they don't relinquish their First Amendment rights just because they also work for the federal government. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will all get worked out. Like I said, the thing that I'm the most worried about is that a supervisor is legislating against a body of organizations mainly because that body did things that he that disagreed with him. You know, I would put this in the larger... I hadn't thought about it in that way. That I would put this in the larger context of like Aaron Peskin trying to get the United Democratic Club dechartered because they raised and spent a lot of money against candidates that he supported. You know, like this is, I would say that like we are getting a, a, to a point where the individual supervisors are trying to, you know, kick the chair out from people who they see as their opposition. Right, like, but these are two very different things, though, right? Like, well, like it, well, Aaron Peskin just tried to outright get rid of an organization. What what Farrell is doing right here is saying these organizations may not use their money if they're also getting city money for political purposes. But that's the that's, same effective thing no, in politics. Not, well, in but, politics, but, it's Sam's the same job thing. is mostly not politics. It's providing really? for the it's providing <laughs> for the residents. I mean, if you could just okay, okay yeah, but right. I'm saying I mean, politically, that's the same thing, right? Because you're saying that I want to say that the Democratic Club that I don't like, that's doing things that I don't like, shouldn't be able to express their money politics and form the pack and spend that money. Like if RFK had spent money on things but that Peskin th- agrees with, that, no, right? That, that's he not have true. Done no, that. Yes, but but the the RFK is a democratic club. The point of a democratic club is to engage in democratic party politics. The point of nonprofit housing developers is principally to provide affordable housing and to provide services for the residents. It is not to engage in politics. And that's the surrounding fine. community. But Right. Okay. And that's fine. But I'm saying that the while I agree with you that the purposes of the organizations may be different, I am saying that in the the action that supervisors are taking to take out their opponents is effectively the same, right? These are two people saying, somebody raised and spent a bunch of money against me. What can I do to kick their knees out, Well, right? maybe, but th- this is this is also, right, like a, a very long thing in politics. It's one of the reasons that Republicans are, you know, forever in favor of tort reform, in part because trial attorneys get a lot of money to Democrats. It, it's um, going after yeah, it's the people I'm, using the law instead of looking at the law and trying to reform it. That's how we see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I don't think we're saying anything different, Brian. We agree. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Again, I don't even have super strong feels about this bill. Um, I think what Todco did was reprehensible. But at the same time, you know, I certainly don't want to give the mayor's office or supervisor or whoever veto power over every dollar that nonprofit housing developers spend um, if a nonprofit housing developer determines that setting money aside for a legal defense fund, whether for their residents or just community members or whatever, you know, that... And I think we've gotten there at least, where we'll be allowed to support the surrounding neighborhood. I I do. I I mean, I'm confident at least that, if not literally in this legislation, that when it finally is enacted, that it will be that. I just think it's interesting that, like, the point... 
I see a lot of like legislation come forward, and this is we were going to talk more about like what causes bills to to be proposed in the first place, right? Like this bill was proposed specifically because of the Elberling situation, and there was an opportunity there to make it more targeted, right? And they kind of wanted to pretend. I'm like, I understand why, but they kind of wanted to be like, oh no, 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 this is like to solve a general problem, and I'm like. No, this was to solve a very specific problem. And if you want to solve a very specific problem, then we could have done something more targeted that would have really, you know, I would have even said that maybe the play to do would have been to really embarrass him publicly a little bit more. It doesn't like, pay himself like once seventy a year. He has a yeah, place no in idea. a building that sure. he manages. He also has a place in that. Sonoma County. I mean, that sounds. I mean, I don't know if he has a place where he manages. That would be a very impressive uh, bait and switch on HUD. I'll tell you that. Because it's really important to remember that there's never been a city dollar, really, in one of the in one of the two, three buildings that he did this with. But there's been lots of federal dollars. Yeah, but yeah, the so legislation yeah. says if you have San Francisco money in it. Oh, so this wouldn't even touch his nope. projects? Nope. Oh, my God. That's, like, so irritating. Yeah, well, it would touch some of them, but not all. That's what I'm saying. It's frustrating. <laughs> You know, we could have like probably figured this out. If you want to say fuck this person in particular, then can we just say fuck this person in particular? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm sure that people in Farrell's office talk to people with HUD or city attorney and whatnot, and like, this is what, this is the only thing, probably? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't think that's right, right? This is like lack of imagination, right? Like, Phil Ting's bill came because. Peter Cohen, we know, was like running around the state house trying to get someone to take this bill. Like, there's a hundred and thirty plus housing related bills right now at the state house, and they're all nibbling around the edges of it because it's some random interest group that came up to them and was like, "Housing's the hot issue. Here's some random little thing that's like really not going to solve the problem, but it's going to nudge my." Okay, right. so so yours is better. Brian's is better. Brian, 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 Thank you, please. thank you. Okay. Yeah, nibbling at the edges. Yeah, you're not like <laughs> getting yelled at by all these fucking defenders of local control who are really concerned that all of a sudden they're going to have to, um, you know, prove that housing is uh, causes uh, negative impacts to human <laughs> health or safety, that they can't just make shit up. Yeah, I know. It's a tragedy for them. Yeah. They can't it's just make shit up. Yeah. Yes. But I do think it's, like, important to, like, really realize that, like, you know, okay, here's where we cut in the, oh, I'm only your bill. Oh, I don't know. But, like, the the really important thing is where does the legislation come bef- from before it's a bill, right? Who is, like, the really interesting part about what is the, what is seen as the realm of the possible is entirely dependent on who's running around nibbling at people's heels and saying here's my bill here's my bill here's my bill it's not based on legislators saying what is really gonna solve this problem let me take a step back and a you know a, a 10 a, what is that a one mile high view where you really say 30,000 foot view 30,000 so that's foot. yeah okay, a good five miles is. or so but okay. you know so that's true with most bills but I don't know. Like, didn't Farrell just decided he wanted to go out and, you know... Yeah, but I, I don't right think that Farrell's bill motion. should be taken as a yeah. example for this conversation. Well, like, a general uh, bill. But okay, but look, wasn't but let's designed look at, to solve the big okay. problem. It was resolved well, to fuck one person in particular. So, all right. We should ask Scott Weiner, but the impression I get is that SB 35, while it's, it's building on prior bills that, that didn't get passed, 
you know, I mean, he decided personally to really take this on. Like the buy right yeah. from last year. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, it, it, you're it's, right. It's, there it, are it's a mix. Most bills are the work of, you know, other non governmental sponsors that say, hey, I've got a really good policy idea. Don't you agree with me? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I will author that bill. Um, so, like, that's how it worked with my Housing Accountability Act bill is Raul Bocanegra was like, oh, cool, that's a great idea. I'm going to, you know, run with this. That said, once a member of Congress decides to run with your bill, I mean, it's their bill, right? Like, they can do whatever they want with it, and I can't, you know, I mean, I can complain, but it, I'm I mean, not an elected most representative, of them right? So I can't have to come from somewhere that isn't the legislature. Yeah, they only have as many hours in their day as we do, and if you're sponsoring 20-plus bills and you have a tiny staff, you're not writing all those bills. No, I mean, just can't be done. people give, trade groups give money to a politician for a reason. And I have to assume that one of the biggest ones is for, to be able to be like, hey, got this sweet bill over here. You right. should probably well, support I, I it. I will say, unlike uh, Todco, uh, Carla has not used any of its money to give money to lobbyists or give money to anyone else. You know, like right. This, right? So, and unlike like, Todco, you don't have that much money. Yeah, yes. that is. We, <laughs> but we got tons of ideas. I've got lots of ideas. Um, <laughs> basically, no money. Um, uh, C A R L A E F dot org slash donate, please. Please. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Any other uh, announcements or things people want to talk about? Uh, I have one. Uh, Mission Housing is on the team that got shortlisted for the Balboa Reservoir. Woohoo! We're going to win. Yeah. I've decided. Can we lobby on your behalf? I would appreciate that, but I can't pay you because I still have city money. (laughs) Yimby Action may lobby on your behalf. Um... I also want to say um, there is, and I'll put a link to this, um, a fundraising event for La Raza Central Legal, mm-hmm. um, which you guys do some work with. We um, actually are there in our office building. We're co-owners of it. And so it's hosted by uh, Latino, Latina Young Democrats. Um, I'll put the link to that in the show notes. People should go and give them money. They're doing really great work. Um, anything else? All right. Well, Come to the Planning Commission Yimby chat meeting March 29th. It's going to be super fun. Yes. And uh, hopefully I'll get this up in time for people to come out tomorrow to support uh, 2670. Oh, what is it? Tw- uh, okay, I'm going to re edit this so it sounds like I know what it is. Hopefully I'll get 2675 this up. 2675 Folsom? 26. Shut up. Hopefully I'll get this up in time in order for people to come out tomorrow, Tuesday, for 2675 Folsom, which is going to be a piece of amazing housing in the mission. So it'll be really controversial and everyone will scream and cry and uh, it'll be really horrible. As is our want. Yeah.